everybody and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. Conversations with creatives, entrepreneurs, thinkers and dreamers who also happen to be surfers. My name's Imi and I am your host. I'm really stoked to be behind the mic again and I hope you're all well. I've been a bit off uh, social media for a while because I was doing up a boat actually. I've got loads of paint all over my fingers and hands and arms and everything and it's pretty, pretty chaotic at the moment. But I just wanted to know how you are. Have you got back to the new normal yet? Because as uh, we return to the new normal here in France, it's quite frightening to see that there are a bunch of countries that are affected by COVID-19 even worse than us. In fact, South Africa is one of them. And that's where my guest today, Philip Hartman, lives. Philip is a big wave surfer. He's a friend of Richard Walton, who was my guest in episode 47. He's a marketing guru and a seasoned entrepreneur. He left his home country to live in South Africa and enjoys the sunny lifestyle and the energy of this wonderful country. In our conversation, we focus on Philip's personal tale because he became a dad of five children in 13 months. You may be going, what? As you hear this, but yes, Philip became a dad of twins and then triplets in the space of 13 months. Beyond the fact that his wife is a goddess, I'll let him tell you his story, which is pretty impressive. And it's about resilience, love and dedication. In fact, we also get a few expert tips from Philip's experience because he's launched a podcast called Being Dad, where he interviews dads from all over the world about being a dad. In fact, we also managed to fit in a few minutes about surfing in South Africa too. Philip and I only had a limited amount of time to exchange and I was kind of nervous because my internet connection was a bit sketchy. But don't worry, the sound is perfect because he recorded his track on his his end. But I didn't make enough time to allow Philip to talk about something more important going on at the moment. And it's his other brainchild called Together for Cape Town. Now, Philip is raising funds for the townships of Cape Town to distribute free meals to the children of the city who are directly impacted by the lockdown rules that have been ongoing since the 27th of March. Basically, in an environment of high unemployment rates, the few income sources are cut off and basic health and supply can't be provided. So we're talking about starvation and the escalation of generally critical situation. So I urge you to skip to Together for Cape Town's website and donate a few dollars, euros or rands to support Philip's initiatives. It's togetherforcapetown.com. So far, they've been able to raise enough money to distribute 50,000 meals, but they are hoping on much more to support these vulnerable communities. They're targeting the distribution of 3 million meals. Links to it are in the show notes. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Philip Hartman. Hello, Philip, and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. How are you today? Hey, Imi, it's good to be on the show with you, and I'm really good. Thank you. Excellent. I guess before we start, do you think you could introduce yourself to the listeners and explain how you see yourself as an ocean rider? Sure. I'm laughing because that's such a multifaceted question, actually. <laughs> My name is Philip Hartman. I'm 41 years old. I'm a proud father of five. I have twins and triplets. I'm also an entrepreneur. I live in Cape Town in South Africa, in the south of Cape Town, actually, almost on Cape Point. Wow. Uh, which is the most southwestern point of Africa. And I enjoy surfing bigger waves, mainly the outer reefs here. And how I see myself as an ocean rider, I guess... 
never thought about that, but I really enjoy kind of the oneness in the ocean mm -hmm. because it brings tranquility and I guess it's a form of meditation yeah. in itself. Absolutely, absolutely. And so where are you from originally? Because I pick up a kind of German or Swiss accent, yeah. is that correct? I'm German, yeah. You're German. I was, I was born in Munich and I grew up in Munich. I'm funny, I always, I've always wanted to surf. There is a river wave in Munich yeah. that kind of started surfing it when I was maybe banks and put like, you know, they put like a rope down the bridge and then kind of held onto the rope and <laughs> stood in the wave. And But I've, I've never done, I've done, I've done it now, uh -huh. but I never did it then. And somehow, I don't know, first time I really surfed, I guess, I was an exchange student in California for seven months. Wow. And only I failed to make sure that uh, the family I'd stay with was living at the ocean. And so they lived in Lompoc, which is like <laughs> behind the mountain, an hour away from the ocean or something, 45 minutes. So I only surfed once then, but I really wanted to. And then I guess I only started surfing when I was, when I was living in Australia for my studies. And I was, I must have been 20. Right. Like that. So I started quite late from a surfer's perspective. Mm-hmm. And so you've been around the world a lot. How did you end up mm. in South Africa? So I studied in, in Munich and Sydney. And I came back to Munich in 2000 or so. And it was on the dot with the first dot-com crash, first dot-com bubble burst. And I could, have, I could have become a designer or something in an agency. I studied multimedia. So at that time, digital marketing, you know, every, everything with two uh, medias, a screen and sound would be multimedia. <laughs> So all, all disciplines were one, really. And I could have, you know, became a designer for print or something like that because there were no jobs in digital at that time due to right. the crash. And I really didn't want to do that. So we started a company in Munich in my parents' garage. And it was pretty clear that we both, my, my business partner today still, Stephen, and then we both still wanted to go abroad. We had studied together in Sydney. Right. You know, we had started surfing and living on the beach. And it was really amazing. And so... Yeah, the garage was kind of like a launch pad, I guess. And we looked up literally different places in the world. In the beginning, we wanted to go to Chile, actually. Right. We applied for different agencies in Santiago de Chile. But they didn't really think we, we were suitable because we, we didn't speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. You know, in my mind, I would have stayed with a guest family for, I don't know, four months or six months. And then, you know, when would have moved on to Chile, I would have stayed in Mexico. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think that was possible. So we kind of pivoted and we applied in Cape Town with different agencies because, you know, everything's English here. It's the same time zone and yeah. it's beautiful. And so one of the agencies literally made the connection and they said, you know, once you're here, just come and see us both. And they hired us both. Funny enough, they said, we're looking for a senior, but you're really too junior. So you could share a position, half a salary. <laughs> and we're like, yay. So we did that. And it was really great because we had a in, you know, kind of into Cape Town and we had a visa and we had friends and suddenly, you know, there were like people and work and the infrastructure. And then funny enough, they didn't have enough work for us. They tried to kind of start like an online unit uh -huh. with us. They were actually um, a digital agency in terms of FX. So they did a lot of 3D and motion graphics and that kind of stuff. And what happened then was that the first companies from the first year in the garage would still contact us and bear in mind this is 2002 so today with COVID-19 I think everybody has finally understood that you can work on a distance yeah, yeah. but in 2002 this was really not common and so we realized that we could do work into Germany and Switzerland 
from Cape Town. So Excellent. in other words, you know, we were we were free to travel. How amazing! And we could service in the beginning other agencies doing our work, and that's also how the agency that we run today, GSDH, and the factory, and literally started. You know, we wow. just started servicing clients abroad. And so we've been doing this for 20 years and then that's why there was never a reason to leave Cape Town <laughs> because <laughs> it's beautiful here and I could surf and I have this lifestyle of, of South Africa really. Yeah. But at the same time, I was able to work in a European context, even though be it virtually, you know. That is really, yeah. really inspiring for anybody who's listening that, you know, if you want to be at the same time zone as Europe, there are like the nicer places on earth than, you know, in the middle of, I don't know, in the middle of France or in the middle of a cold climate somewhere, you can actually sort of get the, yeah. the, the benefits down in South Africa. Was it difficult to adapt to the South African lifestyle? No, it's very Western. I mean, sure, it's still Africa, but, you know, Cape Town is really first to second world i mean cape town itself is is first world if, if you want it to be and you can also have very much have third world at this moment it's very interesting because of covid 19 and and the economy that has collapsed and so people are really really struggling right uh, we started a nice initiative talking of third world called <laughs> together for capetown.com and what we're trying to do is we're aiming to raise enough funds for three million meals for kids in the townships before the year is out Wow. And we seem to be on a good track there. We already, we started three weeks ago. Wow. We already um, were able to pay 55,000 meals. <gasps> so that's really good, but different topic. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to, so, we'll have to yeah. do a new podcast for that one, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. So so you've actually sort of raised money for the kids for their food because I guess, yeah, COVID-19. Maybe this is a parenthesis that we can go into in our next episode, but that's really, really, yeah. really interesting. And you can maybe tell us how you actually managed to get that all together. But I guess we're stuck for time today, so we'll have to sort of pl plow on to actually about being a dad, because I'd really like us to talk about your crazy 13-month adaptation period to become a father. <laughs> and I just wondered if From you could zero tell us... To five. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> <laughs> if you could sort of introduce us to the story and your yes. amazing family. And Yeah, um, it's my favourite topic, obviously. So... <laughs> As you said, quite rightly, I became a dad of twins and triplets or five kids within 13 months. Wow. And the story was quite exciting and amazing, really. And I, I still can't believe that we're still alive, but we are. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what happened was that, you know, we, my wife and I, we grew up together, funny enough, she's also from Munich. Right. We'd been trying to have children for a long time and it didn't work for a long time. And then we had a pregnancy that, that didn't work. Finally, she fell pregnant and that pregnancy didn't work, unfortunately. And then we adopted twins. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and we were like, yeah, okay, you know, they were six months when we adopted them mm -hmm. from South Africa. And right. so we were like, yeah, okay, you know, let's have one more. Let's try for one more. It's <laughs> going to take 10 million years, like always. You know? and this time, of course, she fell pregnant within six months and of course with triplets. Oh my God. <laughs> so... <laughs> And, you know, it, it's fun, it sounds funny now, but it was really stressful at the time because, you know, the, the twins were a year old when Vanessa had to be hospitalized because wow. literally there's not enough space in the belly. And so they try to keep the kids in because they can't survive mm -hmm. if they're born too early, yeah. obviously. And so I was, I sat there with the twins, you know, trying to not go bankrupt on the side, <laughs> caring for these babies and trying to go and visit my wife every day in hospital. And then finally, the, the triplets came. And then, of course, they were in NICU for like, I don't know, 10 and a half weeks. And so I realized through all this journey, and that was stressful, of course. And I, I realized that 
there's not enough stuff for dads. You know, there's a lot of stuff for mums, and that's great. It's not competition. Yeah. But it's just there's nothing for dads really in terms of inspiring content. I know you're big on content, so you'll understand the value of that. <laughs> and so what I did was I started this project called dedicated.com, like dedication, but with an A, dedicated. Mm -hmm. And what I'm doing is I'm speaking to unique dads around the world. Richard was one of them, Richard Walton in yep. one of your previous episodes, yep. who kind of have stepped into or stepped up to being a dad and who have a unique kind of story. And a, they've basically applied themselves, you know, and they have something to say. Mm -hmm. They're really, really amazing men. And, and the idea of the podcast is to inspire other fathers or to empower other fathers or both really in order to facilitate family success. Because I believe that if we can facilitate uh, family success through having fathers being more involved, we obviously have a direct impact on society because family is the smallest unit on how you can organize society, yeah? Yeah. So the impact is obviously very direct. Of course. And I guess that, yeah, that's such a genius idea. I mean, how, literally, how did you cope for the first sort of, well, for the months during which your, your wife was, was in hospital with two babies? Yeah. What, what did you feel during this time? It's a very good, that's a very good question. I mean, the husband is always kind of like, when I get this from speaking to dozens of dads, mm -hmm. obviously, about the topic, the husband is always kind of like the bystander and society is like, yeah, and how did, how, how did you... How did the mother cope and how was it? And, you know, that the husband also has challenging and great times in, in those periods. And so it's very important that we're inclusive around this. Mm -hmm. And I must say, yeah, if I go back, the first, the pregnancy that didn't work, that was hugely traumatic, but only like a year later for me, because I kind of assumed the role of, of soldiering on and trying to keep everything together, you know, because obviously it's devastating for the mother. Yeah. And so I only realized that loss or I only dealt with that loss like a year later, literally a year later. And with the twins and the triplets at the same time, I think I was really just in execution mode because it was, <laughs> like it was so, so much admin and emotional pressure and everything on top of everything. And like, I mean, there's a real chance that your, your wife or your partner dies yeah. in such a pregnancy. It's a very high risk pregnancy. And so we just like, I think we just went into execution and did the survival thing. The uncertainty during the times, especially during the times when my wife was in the hospital, were extremely stressful. I remember like, yeah, you know, I couldn't speak to these kids. They were like a year old, the twins. Yeah. And I like had to put them to bed in the evening and they were just screaming because they didn't know what was going on. You know, you must imagine they were adopted, right? So the first six months of their lives, they had different caretakers. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly they had a mother because obviously Vanessa, my wife, she was all over these babies yeah. and so was I. And then suddenly the mother's gone again, you know, and that's like, they didn't know what was going on. So it was just stressful for everybody really. And I think the birth was also very stressful because I didn't know what was going on. There were mm -hmm. literally 15 or 18 people in the, in wow. the theater. Anesthetist, uh, doula, myself, my wife, the three triplets, a gynae, a doctor per, tri per triplet, oh and God. a helper. Um, so it was like 18, a photographer. <laughs> <laughs> I actually discussed it on my podcast in the last episode with uh, Sander, my friend, who's, who we talk about postnatal depression mm -hmm. from the 
dad's perspective. And we also talked about the birth experience. And so that experience was stressful because they kind of didn't include me yeah. in that in during the birth because it was so process driven and like very scary in that sense. They did it very, very professionally, but just they didn't explain anything to me as a dad. And there again, I think it's important that dad you know, just kind of included in the process and not just like on the side, are you also there? Sure, you're not the main part yeah. uh, in the birth, but it's important to to get them in emotionally in that sense. You well, know? of course, and, and it's it's something that you've anticipated for such a long time. And I guess with the first yeah. baby that you lost on the way and, and that sort of trauma exactly. and, then, and then sort of building up on a, on a, on a risky yeah. peg- pregnancy, that must have been a moment that you wanted to cherish, but that you weren't able to. Yeah, I was, but I mean, I, I was, but you must listen to the episode. <laughs> it, it, it was, it's a big story, but I mean, I, I just think it's important because it's, it's such a beautiful and amazing experience. And as men, we don't inherently have that understanding Mm-hmm. Because I mean I can't bring children into this life, so into this earth. So women, I think, talk about birth much more. And obviously, you know, you have a baby in your belly. That's a very different situation. So it's important that I think, for instance, you should have a doula because, like, the doula helped me a lot. You know, the doula can focus on the mother and the dad, and before the birth, and after the birth, and during. And so it's just an extra person other than just the medical personnel who's just executing so that the child and the mother is well. Yeah, yeah. So maybe for some listeners who who aren't aware, my, when my kids were born, we didn't know what doulas were at the time. But do you think you could explain the role of a doula? Yeah, my wife's also a doula. Oh wow! So the doula is a word for a women's slave, actually. And really? what the doula does is she's there for the well-being of the mother and now also the father these days in more modern times. And really, what she is, uh, the way I would explain it, is she's an emotional midwife. So she doesn't do any medical interference or activities during the birth mm-hmm. but she really helps the parents hold the space emotionally and she explains like this is what's going on now and she makes sure that uh, or she can help or facilitate that the situation during the birth stays or as best as can be remains as the parents wanted it to be right so she might say this is what's happening now the doctor is really saying we need to cut here or this and that because And you can now make a decision. Whereas if there's no doula, the doctor can, and it happens a lot actually, just from what I'm explained to by my wife, um, the doctor actually just overrides the situation and goes, okay, we do this, do this. And you're in a very vulnerable space, um, especially as the mother, obviously. And then you might make decisions that you don't really want to make. You don't want to ask and you don't want to like kind of, be in the way or you know make a mistake and so you trust it and, and you yeah. should so if, if you don't like your gynae you should definitely switch you know <laughs> and so that during the pregnancy i mean <laughs> not during the birth and so the doula the doula does this very important function of the emotional support is that about correct from, from a woman's perspective yeah yeah i mean I, I i'm not too familiar with that kind of role and position because i'm as i said i, I didn't have the the chance to sort of get my hands on doulas at the time it was 20 years ago so but yeah it's obviously an extra sort of emotional how do you say an emotional backup kind of thing which is really important for mothers because they are vulnerable at the time of births yeah and all and during pregnancy and after as well so yeah there's a lot more successful natural births for instance over caesars uh-huh. when there's a doula present right because right. the decision isn't taken as lightly or as quickly not lightly but as quickly when the doula can help hold the space okay. because you know, women are designed for to bear children yeah yeah and so in for instance in south africa the caesar rate is extremely extremely high 
because medical personnel is really trained in the emergency, mm -hmm. which is then the Caesar. And so that's easier for them to execute because they can control more of the situation or it feels like it maybe. And so that's, for instance, an important function of the doula. But again, to kind of help facilitate the birth that you kind of envisioned. Right, right. That's really interesting. You know, she gave my wife a massage before the birth happened and she explained to me what was going on and how I can like play my part and how I can support and how, you know, she helped us during the birth, what's going on now. And she was just there and there's a very strong presence emotionally mm -hmm. you know, and physically. That's fantastic. And I, I really love the way that you turned this crazy sort of hectic time of your life into a, a sort of movement for dads. And you've created a podcast and a video series that's soon to come. Um, do you think you could tell us a bit more about Dedicated? Yeah, I'd love to. And how what, would do, of, what do you want to know? Well, okay. I guess, you know, how did, how did you get the idea to actually sort of think, oh, okay, this is, this is really difficult for me. I wonder if there are other people yeah. in the same situation. How did that, actually, that idea actually come to you? To answer that last question, turns out there are many people in that situation. <laughs> yes. Because I get the feedback from dads and from mums, by the way. And it was very simple. I just couldn't find anything for myself. And like during those periods of like, in the journey and, and sometimes stressful times, I was searching for good content. And at the end of the day, I would end up reading women's forums on the internet. <laughs> or, you know, I mean, there, there is a lot of books for parents, mm -hmm. both, and there's a lot of content for mums. And so that specifically showed the last two or three years, there's a little bit more content emerging. And because the topic is super hot, you know, many, many people have obviously understood this. And dads, want to be more involved you know it's mm -hmm. not like 1970 anymore um mm -hmm. 60 or <laughs> even 80s and 90s you know dads want to be more involved companies are gearing up towards being more family friendly it's a big driver in, in hr you know because yeah. good people will get a good paycheck anyway but you know they'll still have other requirements like for instance self-fulfillment or family and so big companies are now paying ivf or um adoption or they'll give you equal parental leave even though they don't have to and, and that makes a lot of sense because that's how you can have good people in it but it also shows you that good people want that so it shows you that there's a demand for this yeah. and so I just realized there's nothing out there that would have helped me and I thought okay well you know I should just ask men who've gone through this and like what their experiences are and so there are very very diverse sets of men that I'm speaking to and very different stories like mm -hmm. one dad um, has a child who's got only one functional limb. Quite an amazing story. And the child was born uh, like that as a surprise. And so in the beginning, it was like obviously super shocked and everybody was. But what came out of the story is so amazing. His name is Walter Lee. The, his son's name is Zai. Mm -hmm. And by the age of two, Zai was walking on prothesis without wow. legs. And by the age of nine, they summited Mount Kilimanjaro. And he doesn't do this in his capacity as an entrepreneur. He does this in his capacity as a dad, and his energy as a father. That's incredible. There's other stories like Richard, who lived in the jungle for eight years, as you <laughs> know, in Costa Rica, mm -hmm. where two of his children were born. And it's quite amazing because due to time zone, time difference in this case, he was able to spend a lot of time with his family and his children and really saw them grow up. Yeah. And again, here, if fathers are more involved, that's, you know, is a very high indication for uh, family success. What do you call family success per se? I mean, what do you englobe into that, into family success? Well, how I define a successful family? Yeah. I think it's a healthy relationship for starters between amongst all 
I'm talking nucleus family here. Mm -hmm. So your yourself and and your children. Mm -hmm. First, uh, it's a um, healthy relationship. I've kind of translated it into my own mission, um, and that is to live a life worthy of my wife's and children's love and respect. Mm -hmm. So I think that explains a lot about. That's really the outcome. I think family success is also if you have a if you manage to have a relationship with your children past eighteen, <laughs> you know, as an imaginary number, <laughs> past where they're actually dependent on you, that would for me be a successful yeah. family situation. So, for instance, I made a goal that I want to be fit enough in twenty five years for my children to, to, for instance, invite me to join them on a surf trip, <laughs> because in twenty five years that means that they're well into adulthood. And they need to like me. They to still want to talk first. to you. And then, of yeah. course, I want to be fit because I want to go paddle with them and surf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, that's brilliant. And I guess during that time, that also sort of very trying time, how did you actually manage financially? Because that must have been super complicated. Yeah. I mean, luckily in South Africa, it's a bit easier to be able to buy or you know pay for enough help so mm -hmm. to speak in germany it's sort of never been possible yeah so we've had a um, night nurse from the start and you can't otherwise you can't have five babies and yeah. you, you cannot operate on not sleeping ever it's not possible <laughs> so yeah financially i mean i'm self-employed so it was quite stressful i must say mm -hmm. but somehow we we pulled through i have an amazing business partner who took over for us yeah i don't know five six months really then that was pretty much out i mean i was still working but of course less so and somehow it worked we didn't really get much money from family and i didn't want that neither and mm -hmm. um, what we do get or did get and still get and it's really amazing vanessa's friend is in, into fashion they have right. a fashion company actually and the kids have amazing like beautiful clothes they're much better <laughs> dressed than i am and I, i think that's probably quite expensive in in terms of having so many kids and the beautiful stuff they wear so that's for instance a financial burden less yeah. I would guess but otherwise we made certain decisions for instance you know when we first found out that Vanessa is pregnant with triplets everybody was like yeah you have to buy a bigger house or you know yeah bigger car or space, <laughs> a different car and this and we just decided no we actually don't you know if we have less space it will just mean that the family is more on top of each other hmm. you don't actually all live in separate rooms but we more family orientated in that way so you can just make certain decisions that might not be the, the norm and then it doesn't actually cost so much more. Sure, it's expensive. but Yeah, but the reward is amazing. Have you guys got any sort of family traditions? In what sense? I don't know. Well, for example, for me, we have a tradition of, I guess they're a lot older, but we've taught them how to play a game of cards. It's a bit like whist. And every evening after supper, we play the game of whist and the team that loses has to, you know, do the dishes and dishwasher thing or walk the dog or, or something like that. I don't know if, if at this moment you've got, you've already sort of installed any family traditions. Yeah, of course. I mean, we do have those and some you bring, I guess, from your own parents into <laughs> your own family and some you start inventing or they, yeah. they just happen. And I mean, our kids are four and a half and three, so, they, they, right. you know, the dishes are... They won't do, but they help with that kind of stuff. But yeah, of course, you know, I think it's very, very important that you have that. Mm -hmm. So for instance, one thing that I recently introduced, and that's going towards uh, structured dinners. One thing that I've learned from one of my dads in the podcast and on Dedicated.com, Warren Farrell, mm -hmm. he wrote a book called The Boy Crisis. And he said, structured dinners are one of the most important things you can implement into a family setup. What's a structured dinner? Yeah, so structured dinner means that everybody gets the same airtime. Mm -hmm. And will be listened to regardless of their age. 
in the family around the dinner table for a certain period of time. So there's one topic and then everybody can check in on that topic. And then you could still have like totally free time, so to speak, unstructured. But the structured part means that everybody has, gets the respect from every family member during that period and gets wow. the time. And so the baby version of that that we've recently started, and it's, it's really great fun, <laughs> is what was your favorite today? Uh, what was your funniest and what was your worst? Or maybe if, you know, if they really small, you just say, what was your funniest? <laughs> and they say something. But the point of it is that, you know, I will stop everybody and I go, okay, now I want to hear from Maxi. What was your funniest today, Maxi? And then they know that Maxi's talking and everybody's listening to Maxi. It takes time until they get it. But like, I think it teaches them respect. It teaches them to listen to each other. It, you know, the, the three-year-old now says, I'm still talking. <laughs> oh, that's really good. Okay then continue. And so uh, it teaches them self-assurance or self-worth, self self-confidence if you want. You know, because now he's got the, he can, he's talking, so hmm. he's still talking. Okay, and so that's, that's important. So we do that. And then of course we do the obvious things like reading a book every night to the kids. Mm-hmm. Usually the weekend, I try and take over as much as I can. Sometimes the whole day and I work with them in the garden or I go up, up the mountain <laughs> so my wife can take a break. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of, I guess, in the partnership, we have certain rituals. So we do one weekend or one night on the weekend. So Friday night, we go a month and one a month, we go away mm-hmm. somewhere. I organize it and Vanessa just has to pitch. Wow. And then we do one date night a week, which I also organize. And if it's not in COVID-19, we probably usually go for dinner or something like <laughs> that. And now in COVID-19, uh, where we have shifts with <laughs> the night nurse who moved in, by the way, with her child also. So we literally have four three-year-olds and two four-and-a-half-year-olds at the moment. <laughs> because she can't really come in and out, you know. We've started self-quarantining before the lockdown happened. We're in yeah. one of the hardest lockdowns in the world. And so she brought a kid. And so every third night, we also have date night. But then it's something easy. We play Scrabble or we just talk. Another ritual that's very important I find for the relationship is our check-in. Mm-hmm. So we do a, a check-in at least at the date nights or sometimes whenever it happens randomly in the evenings with my wife and myself. So it goes like this. You have a gratitude. So thank you for picking up the kids today or thank you for always doing this or that just to show some sort of appreciation. Then there's personal lows of the day or personal low, just one thing, just to check in. And then there's a personal high. Uh-huh. And then there is horizon. This is on my horizon. What's coming up? And then there is acknowledgement. So I don't smoke, but just to make an example, I've been trying really hard to quit smoking. Yeah. I've, and then she responds, yeah, realized I've seen that and you're doing really well. Oh, wow. And that check-in, it can go really quickly or it can take longer. And it's, it's amazing because it kind of focuses your mind or both your minds into a place where you are checking in on, in on the important stuff. You know, and you can go there very, very quickly. It's a personal low, okay, this, and you're already in the topic. And then sometimes we just carry on on that topic and it kind of goes, okay, and what's your high? And then personal high was this today. And that re- works really well. So we've we've been doing that. That's really cool. And yeah. how have you managed sort of living a long way away from your family in Germany? Because grandparents, for example, for me, were really important when the kids were young. How did mm. you cope with that? I think it's much more difficult for my wife because she has a very, very close relationship with her parents. And so they have been coming since we have, I think, since we've had the twins even. 
every summer, so your winter. Wow. wow. They come for three months. And the next the next door neighbor's house is a holiday home, so we rent that. Uh-huh. And then they're here for three months, literally. So it's really amazing because they, <laughs> they're Italian. And so it's a bambini. And, the <laughs> and they make amazing food. And it's really, really nice. You know, he loves the ocean also. And it's just eating seafood and, you know, what's for dinner and this. And it's really, really nice. And so the kids, they, they pretty much speak Italian or they understand it. Excellent. And because he just speaks Italian to them. And that helps a lot. So they've, like I said, they stay here for three months. Yeah. And other than that, we try and go to Germany for three months of the year and we do that in summer so june july august we're usually in in germany so that's six months right and the rest we need to deal with our grandparents <laughs> wow <laughs> and i guess with all the dads that you've interviewed in your podcast mm-hmm. what is the best advice that you've had from from one of yeah. your dads many <laughs> there are so many and i i make them say exactly that line and kind of we don't explain it but that's because there is nothing for that they start every episode with the best advice I can give to myself as a dad is this. And then they say amazing stuff. So Richard, for instance, said an amazing. Okay, I'll tell you the best advice that I think is the best advice. Okay. Best advice I got came from Warren Rustand. He's an amazing, amazing leader and father and um, family man. And he taught me a lot. He's actually my mentor. Uh-huh. He w- worked for five different American presidents. So it kind of shows you the presence wow. and the achievement. But Family is his most important thing. And the best advice he gave me was it's very easy to distract children. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to distract children. You don't have to go into a conflict with kids. You can just distract children. And that's so true. You know, when there's something and it's <laughs> boiling up to become this big conflict situation, you can just distract them and, and there's no conflict. There's no requirement for timeouts or anything like that. If you can manage to quickly enough distract them, of course, you know doesn't always work but that's really good advice right a lot of good advice came from actually all of the dads Mm -hmm. Um, richard said something he said to apologize to your children and do it often because it levels the playing field i think that's very very powerful advice it acknowledges that you're not always in the right just because you're a parent and you also make mistakes yeah another good advice came from one father who lost his child to suicide and he said and also again very good advice to realize that the world we grew up in is not the same world as they grow up in because it's not we kind of we're dealing in our own paradigm and our own set of how we view things but children have a very different surrounding you know just with technology alone Mm. and so there's a lot of like very interesting stuff obviously many dads speak around time with intent Mm -hmm. quality over quantity and yeah, everybody says that. But actually, you know, think about that for a while and, and see if you're actually doing that. And yeah. spend the time with intent. Yeah. And yeah. Wow. Wow. No, no that's excellent. Well, I guess the best advice is to go and, and check out your podcast and listen to some yeah. episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And how do you actually make such awesome connections? Because you've got some amazing people that come on your podcast. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think... Partly, uh, obviously, my story opens doors. You know, not everybody has triplets and twins in, <laughs> within 13 months. So I guess people like the Iron Cowboy or yeah, Conrad Stoltz find that interesting too. And, and secondly, I really, really enjoy podcasting and networking. Yeah. So it kind of one thing leads to the other and then people start introducing each other. And yeah, 
So that's just how it happens. Excellent. And right now you're starting a seed fund. Could you tell us a bit more about it? Yeah, I haven't started it yet, but I want to. And so it's obviously, you know, with if you want to empower dads, that's a big goal, so to speak, in order to facilitate family success and ultimately making the world a better place. That's not really that's not really possible through recording a few hours of interviews, you know. So how can I get a bigger impact? And so the next iteration of the project would be a visual journey in terms of, yeah, it can be a, a web series or it could be on Netflix, I don't know, mm-hmm. where you get a more like a, also a visual kind of insight into these dads' lives or personal views. And the next iteration based on that brand and that reach would then be some sort of a venture capital fund or investment vehicle that basically invests in companies that carry the same mission, which is empowering dads. Because through entrepreneurship and through business you can have a huge impact positively and negatively so mm-hmm. and like i said earlier you know companies more and more understand that it's important to accept and allow the fact that people also have families and not just work and so many companies pivot towards that viewpoint or standpoint from a business perspective but many companies actually get it and yeah. actually start changing and so those companies are worthwhile supporting and They don't all have to be dad or family related. Obviously, it needs to work for the whole family. I just happen to speak to dads because I am one. Mm -hmm. But it could be a company that produces a pregnancy app for dads. How come there is none? (laughs) How come come there's no birth preparation course digitally for dads? How come, you know, wouldn't you want your dad or your husband to to know about these things? And maybe you don't even know how to explain all of that. And there are different viewpoints, you know? So that's interesting. And But they could also be completely different. So maybe they're just a company that gives their employees off on their children's birthdays. Hmm. It can obviously go further than that, where we have a more equal uh, distribution in term of, terms of time throughout the company for families or something like that. So that's truly open. But really, yeah, I guess the core of the matter is that if you invest in companies that empower the same or that carry the same values empowering dads, I think it will have a huge impact. Yeah, that's amazing. It's sort of 1% for the planet, but dad version, it's excellent. Yeah. It's really, really Yeah, really well, if you look at Patagonia and, and Yvonne Cunyard, they mm-hmm. did a lot of stuff for parents. Yeah. I mean, they basically implemented childcare at the workplace, uh, what, in the 70s yeah. or something? It's I don't know, it's 10 years ago that I wrote, I read, read this book or eight years that let my people go surfing, but I think it was like in the 70s or 80s and because I had a lot of uh, mums at the time working mm-hmm. and they realized that their mums would just work better if they knew that their kids are safe and happy. And so I said, okay, well, just bring your kids to work. Oh, we're going to have to make a plan around this. <laughs> and that's a really progressive kind of way of thinking and it's a really good way of thinking because, of course, work, mums work better if they know that their child's, uh, children are safe. So, <laughs> so yeah, hindsight is always twenty twenty. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what do you find the most challenging thing for a dad in the 21st century? Because like, we've got all this kind of very scary, terrifying kind of future coming to us. And especially we sort of felt it during the COVID-19. And maybe if your kids are super young, maybe they don't realize it all. But mm. what have you sort of had? What kind of discussions have you had with your dads about explaining the future or explaining you know the world in the 21st century good question so COVID-19 I, I believe is a huge opportunity for families mm-hmm. we are experiencing a global deceleration a forced global deceleration of the earth and it's very important that the earth is healing in that sense and nature is you know suddenly we have dolphins in, yeah. in Venice how yeah. amazing 
<laughs> and I'm not taking away from the fact at all that people are literally dying and like there will be millions and millions and millions of people unemployed and companies in the US is at, at its highest in terms of unemployment, right? And that's global. I mean, in, I, I checked in earlier on South Africa. So that's that's a different topic. I'm really, literally separating this yeah. topic on purpose and I'm saying it's a huge opportunity for families being forced to spend more time together. And I think many families have embraced this and have started homeschooling or not homeschooling. It doesn't really matter. You don't always have to stick to some curriculum, but just spending quality time and getting to know each other and not having to commute three hours a day where you're stuck in traffic twice a day for an hour and a half. That's three hours that mm -hmm. you have extra with family or maybe go for a surf or, you know, so in that sense, I think COVID-19 is amazing. Again, I obviously artificially separate the two uh, <laughs> in, in our discussions. I, I, yeah. You do. So we had this. We had much more family time and it's amazing. In terms of how to explain the future to a child because it can be, or how did you say it, explain the future in a difficult time so to, or diff to 21st century. I mean, I think you don't have to explain the future. I think it's very important that you teach your child the power of values mm -hmm. that you first obviously need to define your values And if, if your child understands those values, you don't have to explain the future because you can obviously navigate by means of a true north of your own values. Hmm. And so that works uh, universally. You don't need to say this is so and this is that if you explain the overall concepts of life, how your values might want to be. And so that's much more powerful than explaining how bad the world is and how you navigate those, those problems. Yeah. I think it's more important that you empower children and make sure that they can navigate in a self-empowered kind of manner because you don't know what's coming anyways, you know. That is so wise and it's such good advice to, to sort of see it that way around in terms of values rather than in terms of, yeah, explaining the, the news, basically. I guess we're getting near to parking the bus here. I've only got halfway through my interview Sorry, questions. we didn't talk about surfing. <laughs> we didn't talk about surfing, which is, if you've got a few seconds left. Yes. Could you sort of tell us sort of how you felt when you, caught your first wave yeah uh obviously amazing i can't remember which one it was it must have been in sydney mm -hmm. like the real like there was a wave that i took on whitewater and then there was a first wave that yeah. i took across the face <laughs> and i guess that's my real first wave and that was in marubra which is not <laughs> oh, really yeah? the beginner's spot <laughs> in australia and it felt like totally i don't know like i was totally ecstatic and high yeah it just happened <laughs> So now you're actually sort of really into the big wave surfing. Could you sort of tell us what kind of waves you really sort of feed your, your need for adrenaline rush? You mean size? Yeah, in terms of size or, or spots or what your favorite spot, for example, is. So I think that's a really nice question. I'm not an amazing surfer. I started very late and I didn't always have access to the ocean even after I started because mm -hmm. I was back and forth between Germany building a company here and this and that. So I think it must have been on December 2015. October, November 2015. And I was surfing Otacom, which is a semi-big wave spot here in, in the south of Cape Town. I was so unfit, I couldn't even do a decent pop-up. <laughs> and I was like, it's no fun. And then I decided I wanted to change that. And I found a personal coach, personal trainer, uh, Neil Zitzman. He's, he's an amazing surfer. He's actually SA Champs. Uh -huh. I think Richard goes to his studio, 3S Functional Studio. And uh, he's here in, in the Deep South. 
and told them that I need to be, get fit and I want to surf bigger waves. And he was like, yeah, whatever, you know, hey, <laughs> what do you want to achieve? And I'm like, okay, I want to surf Sunset, which is a big wave spot here in Komiki, in six months. And I thought w- well. when I said it, I thought, okay, he's going to laugh at me, you know. I'm like this German guy from, <laughs> from Munich. Sure, I mean, I've been here since 2000, but it's not like I grew up surfing and no one, you know, if you want to surf bigger waves, no one calls you and says, okay, let's go surf bigger waves. You kind of have to either grow up with it and then your friends move into that or you, I guess, make that decision. Yeah. You know, it doesn't just happen and unless you grow up with that. And, and so it, for me, it didn't happen and I didn't have friends who were surfing big waves. And so he's like, okay, yeah, we need six months. <laughs> no, I, I, I think I said, I want to surf sunset. And he said, okay, we need six months. <laughs> okay. And so I kind of embarked on that journey of, of getting fit and more able as a surfer. And it, it was a really, really amazing experience. I surfed eight months later because there literally wasn't a swell between or after six months uh-huh. there was one after four months but i didn't feel i was ready yeah and so i surfed it eight months later and it kind of changed my perception of surfing a lot because i felt very much enabled and empowered in a sense because you can work towards that goal in a conscious manner and just get your fitness levels up and just work towards that goal really, really underpinning the goal with certain tasks and routines, and then you will get there. Mm. And so that was kind of my way, how I got into bigger waves. Yeah, the biggest wave you asked, I don't know, maybe 20, 25 foot what? something, as if dungeons or sunset. Wow, yeah. wow. Well, I guess if you could send us some photos and we can post them on the, on the blog. <laughs> I'll send you a picture. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. pleasure. Philip, I guess it's time to park the bus. If you could remind us of your socials or how to get hold of you, that would be great for the listeners. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the podcast is on dedicated.com. That's spelled like dedication, but with an A, mm-hmm. dedicated.com. My Instagram is instagram.com slash beingdad underscore official. Okay. That's for the podcast project. And then the easiest way to reach me is either via LinkedIn. So it's LinkedIn. And then my name, Philip Hartman, two, the number two. Okay. So that's spelled P-H-I-L-I-P-P-1-L-2-P. Mm-hmm. And then Hartman is H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N, and then the number two. Okay. So those would be the easiest ways, I guess. Okay. Well, we'll drop them in the show notes in any case. And um, okay. Philip, I just lo- would like to thank you for being my guest today. Maybe we could sort of check in another day and continue this extraordinary conversation and talk about digital marketing. I'd love that. <laughs> okay, oh, then. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. <laughs> uh, well, thank you ever so much, away Philip. On the dads. <laughs> yeah. No, I thank did you, too. Amy. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And speak to you soon. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. I love the way Philip has spun a potentially impossible time of his life into an asset and is helping dads around the world find their place in the family as dedicated dads. I hope you find some good advice as parents or future parents in this episode. I know I certainly did. You can listen to Being Dad, his podcast on all the podcast platforms and on dedicated.com. So instead of dedicated, it's dedicated. The conversations are really refreshing to listen to. 
Links to it are in the show notes as well on your podcasting app and on theoceanriderspodcast.com. You can also connect with Philip on Instagram at beingdad underscore official, beingdad underscore official, and on Facebook at dedicated.com. Now, the dedicated.com is spelled dedicated, D-O-T, Com. So the dot com is spelt. And finally, I urge you to help Philip donate three million meals to the children of the townships of Cape Town as they are in critical need of all the help they can get. So go to togetherforcapetown.com. The Ocean Riders podcast is a passion project and as such, it would mean the world if you could rate or review it on Apple, Co- on Apple Podcasts. Just a few five star ratings go a long way. You can also connect with me on social media at the Ocean Riders Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and check out my website theoceanriderspodcast.com for photos of my guests and extras that you can't find in the show notes. You can also contact me at hello at theoceanriderspodcast.com. Last but not least, if you'd like to help me pay for my hosting bills and awesome editor, Leng Inke, who actually does my editing and also the amazing show notes with transcripts, you can head over to theoceanridersshop.com where you'll find a selection of hand-picked organic and fair trade goodies. Thank you for listening to this episode and thank you, Philip, for being my guest today. It was an awesome conversation. Until next episode, take care, have fun and enjoy the waves. Ciao.